Okay, we have started our recording and I will admit everyone in the waiting room. Good go. afternoon. Good afternoon, Mayor Hoffman and Vice Mayor Kelman. This meeting is being held pursuant to Section 3 of Executive Order N-2920 issued by Governor Newsom on March 17, 2020, and all members are joining this meeting telephonically through Zoom, and it's broadcast live on city's website. Thank you very much. Um, okay. I'm looking for the agenda. Hold on, sure it is. Hold on, just a second, guys. Okay. Okay, so I'm calling this meeting to order. And the first thing I'm going to do is call for public comment for items not on the agenda. So I'm going to call for that right now. And anybody who wants to talk, speak on something that's not on the agenda, now is your time. I'm not seeing any hands. Uh, Mr. Clerk, are you seeing any hands? Um, Madam Mayor, I see no hands raised at this moment. Sorry, did you say, sorry, sir, I, did you say you didn't see any hands? Um, Madam Mayor, there are no hands raised at the moment. Very good, thank you. Then I, in that case, I will now close public comment for items not on the agenda. Um, and so we will now uh, move to our actual business items, which are listed on um, C on our agenda. Uh, we have six items on our business agenda. And so we will take uh, we will do this, have a presentation from the staff, and then we will take uh, with questions from uh, the vice mayor and myself, uh, and then we will have public comment on each item on the agenda. And so let's go to the first one. The first item on our agenda is a C1 updated list of active purchase orders for consulting services. So I believe, is who's doing the staff report for this? I'm doing <laughs> staff report for this. Okay, go ahead. So uh, if you, you may remember the last uh, con uh, finance committee meeting, we put together a list of active purchase orders for professional services and included consultant's name, uh, authorized amounts, and the uh, department that was responsible for, for the contract. And um, we presented this initial list to you on January 9th. And since then, we, we were able to expand on this request and uh, provided some additional input from departments uh, on the issue of the services and what uh, exactly they represent. And you can see on this updated list in your packets, you can see well, more detailed description of the services as well as level of expertise that um, is being provided. So we included hourly rates uh, everywhere we could. And uh, well, some contracts, of course, uh, have a set uh, flat fee and you can see it as well. And uh, as you go down the list, you can see what the reasonable alternative would be to providing services as well. So we, uh, we are presenting this updated list to you. And uh, as you probably saw it from the memo for this item as the committee requested to consider economic development services in light of this request of overall um, 
scope of professional uh, services for the city, we are also seeking direction on the economic services uh, contract as well. So that's my introduction to the item. I'm happy to answer any questions. Attachment one provides the list of all consultant services. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, thank you. That's very helpful actually to have this um, list. And so is this list that we have now, it's four pages long. Is this the, the complete list that we have or is there any other additions or deletions that we need to make? This list represents active purchase orders for all professional services. And is, if, as you may uh, know from the purchasing policy, which is also part of municipal code, the purchase order has been created on all contracts over 6,000 years. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry, $6,000 okay. <laughs> create a purchase order. Okay. Um, okay, and so the RGS, which, um, what line is that on? Well, we have several RGS contracts, as you can see, and uh, you can see oh, by Okay. Yeah, we have the uh, RGS agreement for human resources right now and COVID-related uh, items. We have RGS uh, providing services for community development department and uh, economic development is one of the uh, one of the uh, one of the contracts, but not uh, well. We have several of them, so I can look what line it is. Okay. I think uh, no. This is super helpful. I think um, this is just a formatting thing, but um, the next time, uh, <laughs> this is like super easy, right? But just the next time you do one of these for us, if you could just add another column at the very beginning for a line number, like that would be super helpful. Instead of instead of us trying to search by the PO number or by, yeah, um, <laughs> like you just say like 919 or something like that, that'd be awesome. Yeah, that makes um, sense. Okay, thanks very much. This helps us uh, a lot. So let me uh, ask the vice mayor if she's got any questions straight off the bat. Oh, great. Thank you. Yeah, Julia, thank you. This is this was great. That's so, so helpful to have it. Um, sort of some threshold questions. Do we have a separate um, list of consultant uh, agreements for legal services? Uh, well, that would be our professional services agreement. So we have a standard template for professional services agreement. So I mean, for outside counsel, like, how, is there a, um, is there a separate uh, report out that we could get that would show legal fees that we've you know, spent money on so we can incorporate that as part of the overall yeah. campaign. I see, I see the nature of the request. So the legal services usually not subject to this uh, threshold for the council approval 6,000 and above because, uh, well, typically outside legal services uh, <laughs> retained when, when there is an open claim, right? So that there is a confidentiality and uh, uh, legal. Well, yeah, totally fair. Just wanted to, I know some people have been asked this, I wanted to hit that. Um, and then I just had a couple of just questions as I was reading through that spreadsheet, if you don't mind. Um, so I saw um, a line item from Marin IT. Um, does the county require us to hire that consultant? The, there are some requirements. Uh, yeah, county requires us to, that Marin IT provides network support. But as part of this upcoming services, we, we actually we have it on our to-do list to evaluate what the nature of this agreement would be. Because I think that right now there is a little bit of overlap between what the Stepford is doing for us and what Marine IT could be doing. But, yeah, but the good it exactly, yeah. 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 Okay, yeah, that was exactly wondering that. 
Yeah, and you may remember when we brought the uh, Stafford Agreement forward, we actually solicited some, well, we, when we did the outreach for uh, for additional quotes, we, we reached out to Marine IT as well to, to see what the, how they can, could provide those services. So we just need to refine it a little bit further down and see how network uh, is going to be supported in the upcoming budget. Okay, um, so uh, also a question on Metro planning, um, that line item, is that complete now or do we continue to hire them? Uh, so for the M group, I, I don't want to speak for Lily, so I don't know, Marsha, if you, if you could uh, chime in if there is anything outstanding. I know we're wrapping I, up. I don't know. <laughs> we'd, we'd have to get a detail. We'd have to get detail from there, uh, from Ulia. I don't have it in my head. Okay. Um, all right, so let's move on to Parisi. Um, see, I feel like I see Parisi like on every other staff report <laughs> around traffic and circulation. Um, I would love to see a report for how much we've paid them each of the last three fiscal years. Um, I just, that name has come up so often. I think it's, uh, it'd be useful to do a little bit of an accounting on that. So again, over the last three fiscal years. Um, and then uh, my last question, again, just a detail. So we, the last thing on the police is an evidence technician. Mm -hmm. um, and it says it's half an FTE, but if you do the math, 70K divided by 47K, is 1500 hours which is not half an FTE so I'm just wondering are we really getting half an FTE or how are we accounting for that sorry I know that's sort of in the weeds but I, we've been talking about shared services so I'm trying to understand you know what we're paying what we're not paying so the 70,000 for for the property evidence technician and the question is uh, why the amount is so high uh, correct. Uh, yep. Okay. Yeah, we can we can we can look closer into this and see if uh, if the rate we listed includes overhead rate that we've been charged. So that's okay. Okay. So I you know, I, I believe seventy thousand. That's the authorized amount that we put in the budget. So my recollection is, and if we go back and look at the budget files, I think that's what we used. That's what the council approved whether it's a, uh, it's an actual amount or the, the actual cost might be a little bit lower. So we can get input from the police department on this. That would be wonderful. That'd be great. Thank you. Sorry, I know that's, like I said, in the weeds a little. Um, Madam Mayor, I comments on the RGS stuff, but I'll, I'll pause there and give it back to you to see if you want to lead off. Okay, I don't have any, uh, I don't think I have any other follow-up questions um, at this point. Uh, I think this is tremendously helpful for us. Um, it'll be tremendously helpful when we start going through the budget and a picture of, you know, um, how we're managing based on different staffing and, and then professional services. So I thank you so much for this. Um, and other than my other comments, I don't think I have any specific questions for this right now. I mean, we, we do want to talk about, I think, the RGS contract with regard to EDAC, I think. Are we going to, uh, but we can see if we have public comment first and then we'll get back to that. That's fine. Okay. Okay. So let's have uh, public comment on this item. I'll open public comment for this um, item one on our C1 on our agenda today. And I see uh, I see one hand up, Mr. Dre and um, Serge. Serge, you know, because of the way people are jumping around, I'm just going to let you pick. 
sure. John DeRay, and I'll go ahead and ask to unmute and show his video if he wants. Uh, uh, thank you so much for um, having the meeting and uh, for letting me speak. Um, I went through this uh, this table here, and I didn't do it exact. I just did it with my phone. I get about 4.2 million in consulting uh, fees here, and I just got to thinking um, that's 4.2 million in Sausalito taxpayer dollars going to consultants. And I'm sure, you know, most of this is all completely needed and um, I get all that. I'm just wondering if there is any way that um, some hiring or consulting can be um, funneled to Sausalito residents. Obviously, we have a very smart community here, very well-educated community. I'm just wondering if that could perhaps be some uh, a policy to be looked at, that some of this 4.2 million, even if it's just a small amount, could go back into uh, the community uh, uh, for consulting services. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, any other public comment on this item, Serge? Madam Mayor, I see no other hands raised. Okay, very good. I'm gonna close it then. Um, well, that's an interesting point. Um, so, when we're looking, I mean, when we're addressing this in our budget, um, and anything else, I mean, that we do in Sausalito, I know that there's a process that we um, that we have to put out bids, obviously in a competitive way. Um, but I wonder if we, you know, all things being considered, is there a way to wait that? Or I mean, we can open that up for discussion in the future, I suppose. But um, let's put that on our list, I think, to address. Anybody have an objection to that? So I don't see any objections. So, um, okay. So how do we want to? We have one, one, one contract. I think that we're looking at that we we wanted to address um, specifically in this form, which is the RGS consul consulting contract for the the EDAC for economic development and. Um, What's the rest of the, <laughs> I'm, having, I'm having acronym overload right now. Anyway, the Economic Development Committee. Um, do we wanna talk about that right now? Yes. Okay, so let's go into that. Um, so, I, you know, I, Jill, you're on EDAC, so I'll let you kick us off on this and then I'll weigh in. Sure, um, yeah, I think my perspective on this is less EDAC specific and more um, community perspective. So as John just pointed out, there's so many consultants performing work. Um, I think just culturally, I would love to see us develop more of that expertise in-house. Um, and then when I look at the RGS components, a couple things jump out that I'd love to, to talk about. So the first thing is I don't see any defined goals uh, or metrics. And so I really want to make sure that we're making business cases for specific hiring, particularly when they're a nice to have versus a, a must have. So if you look at a $50,000 contract, that pretty much is equivalent to $3.3 million worth of sales. That's how many sales we would need to generate to pay for that contract. Um, and without defined goals and metrics, it's hard for me to get there as from a business case perspective. 
I think some other components that jump out is that we already get sales tax analysis reports from HDL. And so it wasn't really clear to me what the difference is. Um, is it just repackaging of HDL's information, um, someone's interpretation of HDL's information? Uh, and, you know, I, I find Yulia's, you know, reports on HDL already, um, you know, pretty useful. So do we need another person to be doing it? Um, and then sort of, I guess, you know, anecdotally, more or less, one of the examples was, um, you know, working on something like Verizon and Sprint. Well, I don't know that we want to outsource those types of negotiations to a contractor like RGS. Um, I think that's the type of expertise we do want to retain in-house. So um, I guess that's sort of my approach. I don't think it pays for itself or I haven't seen the business case for it. I know finance has nine um, consultants right now uh, working in the finance department. I would just, you know, culturally like to see us build up the finance department and make sure that, you know, Yulia and her cohorts are supported in that fashion. So that's just my initial sort of thought around it. So what do we want to, do we want to make a recommendation today on whether or not we continue this contract or whether or not we, we recommend that it not be continued with regard to EDAC? I mean, I'm, I mean, I think what we were, what we were discussing specifically was, you know, do we need this as part of EDAC is his, is he, is whatever, you know, I, I don't, that's what I'm trying to get at. Do you think that, do you think as a member of EDAC that you need his, that staff support for the remainder of this year or is your recommendation to hold, pause or cancel the contract? Are you asking me or, or you? Yeah, no, I'm asking you as a member of EDAC. Oh, um, I, I think until we, we give clearly defined goals to EDAC that come from the council's strategic planning, um, I don't know how we, I'm asking for something from RGS. I want benchmarks and metrics, but I can't, we can't really expect them to have that until we give them clear goals and then we can assign the work more clearly. Um, but I do hope that we think about how we pay for these things, right? So 50K is equivalent to $3.3 million worth of sales. Um, do we feel confident that that work would lead to that to pay for itself? Not that everybody needs to pay for itself, but I, I do want us to think about the business case around our, our spending. Okay, so let's put a, we're going to talk about our strategic plan here, I think, later in the agenda. Um, and so, um, on number five. And so let's put a, then I, I think that's with regard to, and Marcia, our, as our city manager too, um, and Yulia, if you want to weigh in on either one of these, these things, I think those, that was the main I mean, uh, with regard to all of the consultants, I mean, that, that big picture is going to be enormously helpful when we talk about um, the budget, not necessarily the strategic plan, but the budget, um, and, and to give context, right? And then the next thing is, uh, <clears throat> you know, um, where do we go from here? Yeah, where do we go from here? So I think, I think with regard to that particular contract with regard to EDAC, um, Let's put a pin in it and talk about it when we get down to our strategic plan because it's going to, I think, we're going to talk about remits to our different boards and commissions for 2021 when we get down into the strategic plan and talk about what we're going to do um, at that workshop. So let, let's just let's just revisit that when we get further down. Unless <laughs> any other thing other than that, if you guys have to, you know. The one point um, uh, with, with the RGS contract as it is brought forward, I, I agree, uh, Mayor, a good idea to discuss it under strategic planning. I do think that um, 
remove the finance uh, concern is very real. I do think uh, the ability to retain or not retain uh, is a full council vote. So this committee would recommend uh, to the council. Uh, we pulled it off the last couple of agendas and I've been getting questions not only from EDAC but also from other council members as to what's the uh, short and long range plan here. So I do think at some point, and we can talk about this later in your agenda, uh, we do need to have a strategy for uh, did finance then determine that this support wasn't needed or did the full council determine that with a recommendation from finance. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I see us going uh, without further direction from you and the vice mayor. And can I just say one more thing too? I think uh, my lens here is COVID-19 recovery, right? Mm -hmm. So if it's not required for the operations of the city, like we got, we have to prioritize. I know it's hard. I know it makes it makes well, it difficult, right? Um, but I just want to make sure that 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 lens is is coming through. Um, and then everybody's really clear on why we want certain contracts, right? We need this contract to finish the CAFR. We need this contract to execute on this. Like having that clarity, I think, would be really helpful. And and the the finance committee review of those contracts is a recommendation coming forward to council. I think you're right on the money. We just need to make sure we understand how we're spending our limited dollars. Good, good, good lens, good approach. Okay. All right, okay. next item then. I'm sorry to have added staff's view. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna move on then to um, number two, debt service discussion. And so I'll open up public comment uh, on that right now. And if, Serge, if you see anybody, you can just start calling them. We'll give them a couple minutes to raise their hand. Madam Mayor, I see no hands raised at the moment. Okay, thanks. Um, in that case, we will, I'll close public comment and we'll go on to the staff report for item C2 on our agenda. Uh, so for this item at the last meeting, Finance Committee requested review of the city's uh, debt services to evaluate options uh, for potential refunding. Um, as we already discussed at the prior meetings, uh, most of the city debt services were related to outstanding sewer bonds, uh, COP certificates of participation uh, issued for uh, finance pro uh, and parks projects, and uh, 2006 geo bonds uh, that were issued for demolition and replacement of police and fire stations. Uh, we already reported uh, to you that COPs are not callable until 2025, and uh, in addition to that, were issued under very favorable rate, under 3%, which is, uh, even if they were callable at this point, that would be probably not uh, prudent to refinance. Um, so as we discussed at last time, the Finance Committee requested comprehensive review of bond documents to determine any potential savings for the 2006 shield bonds. Um, comparing to the cost of refinance and reissue. And we reached out to our financial advisor to do analysis and provide professional opinion on the feasibility of this option. And today we have uh, Scott Smith from CSG Advisors with us to uh, present his findings and uh, summarize his report and answer any questions. And I know Scott is in the audience. Yeah. Okay, great. Maybe we can unmute search if you can help. Good afternoon, everyone. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Yes. All right. Uh, so uh, members of the committee, uh, members of the staff, Scott Smith, CSG advisors, um, I won't take a lot of time going through uh, all aspects of the memo here. 
um, the what I've done here is looked at um, the 2006 bonds that are outstanding that are subject to callability. And um, it's primarily uh, the A bonds, uh, which had not been defeased. There were about $2 million of available proceeds left over from the project that were used to pay down those A bonds. Uh, the, the 2006 bonds were sold in two series, uh, which I, I don't think I need to elaborate on. The, the second series, the B series, is not callable. Um, and those are the bonds that go out for a later term. Uh, the A bonds, which are callable, only go out as far as uh, 2025. And the current amount outstanding is only about $3.2 million. So uh, what we did was we looked at current double uh, A plus uh, interest rates in the current municipal market, well, at least as of uh, January. Um, we made uh, very just broad assumptions about uh, transaction costs, um, perhaps maybe a little bit on the overly conservative side, and, um, and then ran the numbers. And uh, what we uh, basically concluded was, you know, there's, there's a a marginal amount of savings about on a net present value basis about $140,000 uh, going out uh, to 2025. That's about $35,000 per year. If you take uh, the city's current assessed value and the current median home price, uh, what you'd be looking at is delivering, you know, just to the median home price owner in Sausalito about $11. Uh, per year in savings for uh, 22 through 20, uh, for 22 through 25 um, fiscal years. Um, you know, uh, so I, I work with a lot of clients uh, all over. Uh, we do a lot of refunding analysis and talk uh, with various staff members. Uh, we understand uh, these are very uh, trying times. Um, staff uh, folks are, are, um, spread thin um, you know our sort of conclusion here was you know this is uh, you know there's no it, it's not that there's no work involved in doing a municipal refinancing um, but as you can see from these results um, you know there's although you know this sort of reaches the threshold of saying you know from a traditional you know is this economically um, efficient to refinance? The answer is yes, from a traditional metric uh, standpoint, from, from an absolute dollar amount and the, and the opportunity cost of staff time, you know, there's not a lot of juice here, so to speak. And so the question is, is it really worth, you know, the time that the staff could be spending on other things? It's very self-serving for a you know a finance professional such as myself to say, oh yeah, it's in the money. You guys should go for it. Um, uh, so you know, from my standpoint, you know, it's justifiable from an economic standpoint, but from an opportunity cost standpoint of what other things the staff could be doing, it, it's sort of a, a question mark. And I'll leave it at that. With any so questions. Yeah, sorry to follow up on that then. So um, about how much staff time would it take to do the refinance? Well, so we'd be talking about, you know, probably about a couple month process to assemble the finance team, uh, 
draw up a document, financing documents, um, you know, go through a rating process with the rating agency um, to get this this element uh, rated, re-rated, um, essentially. And um, so, you know, periodic conference calls, review of documents, bringing documents, preparing staff reports uh, for public meeting, you know, that type of thing. Uh, it's not like a, it's not like it's a, a, a huge amount of time, but it's not. You know, I, I just don't think it's fair of me to say that it's no no time or burden at all. So what would so you said a couple month process, but like give me hours, like a, an estimate. A, a competent finance staff well, person would be able to wrap this up with a, a, a donate. You know, devoting twenty hours total. Before, before Scott answers the question, is that something Olia and Scott together can answer, or is that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lilia, your, your comfort level with what would it take one of your staff, if your positions were all filled, uh, to, to provide the information to Scott's firm? Well, typically this kind of uh, responsibilities would fall under finance manager uh, duties. And uh, as you know, this position is still vacant. We are in the final stages of recruitment, but uh, even if we are successful filling this vacancy, we, we need to account for some time for this position to be onboarded and uh, fully trained. So given that we are going into the budget process, uh, which is a huge burden, and we just uh, applied one more vacancy in, uh, in finance department, I just, right now we have no capacity to take this on. I understand that. That wasn't the question. The question is, if you were fully staffed, uh, what would it take one person to provide the information to Scott's firm that was um, on his list? Is that a quarter time for a month or is that full time for two months or what are we talking? Well, is it possible to estimate? It's very hard to estimate right now, but as Scott said, well, for, for two months, probably quite a bit of uh, conference calls, uh, putting together information, reports and, and things like that. So we are talking about uh, maybe a few hours uh, per week uh, specifically working on this project. So during budget, um, even if you were full staff, this would be uh, possible, but during budget and without the positions pulled, the is it? Yeah. Okay, I just wanted the context. Thank you. Okay. Can I um, chime in? Yeah. So it's, it sounds like, Scott, if I understand you uh, correctly, that I think you said the value of the taxpayers is about $11 a year, right? So it's probably not not really worth um, pursuing at $11 a year. I, I do have sort of a weird um, process question. Could we have gotten the same information you provided us if we had just reached out to the underwriter? Would the underwriter have been able to tell us the, the rates and the savings? Yeah, yeah they they could have. The, 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 the complicating factor is that under the municipal advisor rule, they would have sent it to me as well uh, as your as your municipal advisor, so that I could look at it and endorse it. So, but yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess I'm sort of feeling like. Um, okay. Well, sorry. R random question. Also, um, and as a municipal advisor, um, can the city have a line of credit, or do we have or do we have a line of credit? Um. You can. What's what's typically done um, when cities are borrowing inter-year, because obviously there's very limited ways in which uh, cities can borrow money. Um, 
sometimes they do uh, lines of credit. It, it, the, the key is that it needs to be structured within you know, the limitations of the California debt limit. So it has to be end of year, but you could have a credit um, line. Um, you see some cities, uh, primarily larger cities uh, will do, will issue um, uh, TRAN notes uh, inner year um, for cash flow purposes. But uh, yeah, it can be done. It just has to be carefully structured within the within the debt limit rules, the state, right. state law. Yeah, I mean, I guess um, you weren't at our prior conversations. I guess I sort of see this at this point uh, as more of a cash management um, conversation, we sort of missed the boat probably on, on the refinance. It probably would have been three or four years ago. Um, so in the cash management side, I was just trying to figure out at previous meetings, uh, you know, why did we have money from the cops sitting in the bank accruing interest? You know, how were we paying for contractor services? Um, and why did we manage the cash in that fashion? So that's probably not really a, a question for you, but I think that's what we were trying to uncover the full suite of, of options here. I don't, know, I don't know if anybody has a comment on that. Well, you know, I do think, um, you know, some of what you're talking about is is looking backwards. I do think, um, given, sorry, given the, the, the way that we do business now, uh, we avail ourselves of uh, services such as Scott's to do a, a review and give us um, recommendations on way, ways, ways we might save the organization and the residents' uh, dollars. So uh, I don't know that that's what was done uh, before the current um, administration. Um, I, I don't know how the organization operated three, four years ago. I can tell you in the current environment, uh, Ulia would call regularly uh, for advice on are there dollars saved and, and look at uh, ways of cash management. So we, as we go through this, we may be able to find additional ways to uh, fine tune, uh, but I do think some of what we're talking about is a transition from uh, prior administrations to this one and uh, getting through COVID and, you know, a whole series of things we're talking about. It's, it's, it's a shopping cart full of uh, pieces of information. So I think this conversation is really healthy uh, and we may find as we go through it, new, new ways uh, may avail ourselves of Scott services or have the expertise of our assistant city manager to, to, to make those tweaks. Is that fair, Ulia? Uh, yes, and I just want to add uh, one other piece. So in other organizations that, that I worked for, we would uh, have uh, robust financial policies, including to debt service management policies. And that's something that I uh, don't have. And uh, it would be really helpful to put it on our to-do list moving forward to develop this policy. So this way, as Marsha said, we will have periodic reviews as part of complying with our own policy to, to see what the, uh, and especially if we, we go into new, uh, any new debt service, so it will be part of the year end close and will be part of kind of periodic uh, financial reviews. So this way we will see like what's the potential savings, whether it's worth it. And, and then we will call Scott and say, well, here's <laughs> based on our review, we, we determined that it's time to, to do this analysis. That's, I totally agree. I think that's a fantastic idea. Um, Marsha, I love the way you framed it, right? Moving forward, new policy that you're talking about, Yulia, is we want to not earn interest when we don't have to. Um, if money is sitting in the bank, um, you know, uh, costing us rather than using it, we, we, you know, we want to know. So I guess, the, I guess the follow-on question then for you, Yulia, is 
that five million dollars that is the cops money sitting in the bank um that should probably now be shown in the general fund um how are you going to report that and when are, when will we pull that out no you mean cop right funds so that that needs to be uh, uh, sorry when you said cop i, I thought about oh, sorry, the cop. yeah the cop yes <laughs> Uh, no, no, that, that is uh, going to be the first project, and uh, I mean special project, and uh, when you brought it to our attention, I actually already started looking into this, so as soon as we're done with COFRA, we, we just need to reconcile and do all the drawdowns, so some of these funds are not available, we just need to uh, clean up the books, in other words, and uh, moving forward for that kind of question, well, keep in mind that this money are restricted, so you can't really, <laughs> you can't really put them in general fund, whatever is left. Right, so that's what I'm sort of getting at. We we yeah. paid for we paid for services uh, using general fund money. We should have used the cops money. The cops money would have been restricted. We didn't use the cops money. We used general fund money. So now we have this restricted cops money. How do we yeah. replenish the general fund? Yes and no, because <laughs> you still from the perspective of the treasury report, and that's you you saw this line item on the treasury report. You still, we still showing you our net cash position, right? So it's just a matter of cleaning up, and you're absolutely right here. So that that's something that should have been done periodically. And when you raised this question, I, I actually looked back and I saw the last drawdown done in 2016, and I think that was also 2015. I think that was around the time when Charlie left uh, the city. So uh, there is a lot of time. Well, and we, we need to we need to reconcile it and we we are actually own it it's it's one of our uh, projects right now but as far as uh, general fund uh, losing money or, or misusing money i wouldn't go that far i think once we clean it up and reconcile you will see this in the uh, in the uh, next treasury report uh, in the correct location yeah i i think we're saying the same things i'm just concerned that the we didn't call the money when we should have, and we used money from another fund to pay for something, so now we have these restricted funds. Um, but to your other point, Yulia, about moving forward in a new policy, I think um, if we can make a note to have financial reporting on Measure F uh, every six months, and then a final on the ultimate costs, uh, I know that's uh, on future agenda items, but I think that aligns exactly with your, your great idea around how we're gonna report on this. So I'll just flag that, and then maybe we'll talk that the next, uh, at the next finance committee meeting. So, so I have a follow-up for either Scott or Yulia. So we're we're going to go down. We're going to talk about our strategic plan here in a little bit. But um, again, this is like something else. Maybe we want to bake into our strategic plan, which is an annual review of, you know, of what. How would you characterize this? Like, if I was going to say this is a general policy of Sausalito under our finance, we're going to we're going to um, as one of our policies call out a annual review of our, what would you call it? Finance, saving, finance, um, saving debt, opportunities? What's that? I'd call it debt management. Okay, that's what, yeah. Debt management policy. I mean, you might want something a little broader that, than that. It's just to, I, I want to say, you guys don't have a lot of debt, um, you know, as it is. So you may want to combine it with something else. But, I, but what you're talking about, I think, is debt management. Okay, so I think I, in, in fact, maybe, um, again, we'll, we can talk about this later, but I'm, I'm going to add it to my notes, that we can add in then an annual review of debt and expense management. So part of the expense is going to be 
right, is going to be our um, the list of consultants that we just looked at, the consultant contracts. So, I one of the things, Madam Mayor and uh, Vice Mayor, uh, one of the things I would like to see is not necessarily an outcome of this uh, finance committee, but out of an outcome of the finance committee's work, is a, a master calendar uh, for finance. So, uh, every January, which when what most cities use is a tool, and Ulia has worked with before, and uh, when we get to um, do a number of the, the larger projects, she should have time to uh, spend uh, getting us organized. And in getting us organized, uh, finance calendar puts uh, on a year's view uh, all the things that the, the organization wants to do every year. So the things that you're talking about right now with Scott and with Ulia uh, would be every January, February. And then uh, as a matter of recourse, um, the, the council would uh, come back and look at, okay, it's January and February, therefore we must be looking at our debt and financing and are we on top of it and is it where we want it to be and it can be as simple as a yes oh by the way that looks good or oh gee i'm glad we came back to it every year like we're supposed to because it looks like it we would save dollars in 2020 or 2022 by by refinancing so i think it's a work product that we should work towards master okay. calendar mm -hmm. i agree with that okay so let's i i added that to my notes down here under strategic plan so Okay, I don't have anything further on the debt service. Do you, anybody else? Anybody, me, us, and staff. Okay, um, okay, then I'm gonna move on to a fire district. Um, I Thank you, Scott. Thanks. Thank you, Scott. Uh, a fire district. And uh, item C3 on our agenda, fire district property tax allocation analysis. Uh, and so, Yulia, I'm guessing you're going to give the staff report on this. Well, actually, uh, I wanted to uh, introduce the item and, or, or just uh, turn it to Charlie. Charlie assisted to. Okay, I see that. that he's, I, go ahead. Yes, good afternoon, Mayor, Vice Mayor. Uh, nice to be with you here again Hi, today. Charlie, welcome. Uh, the, uh, what I got here, have here on the screen is um, uh, accompaniment to the staff report. Staff report uh, looked at um, the first issue, which was the property tax calculation as it related to the resolution, which was an attachment to your to your staff report. And the uh, paragraph that I wanna focus your attention on this afternoon is uh, the mechanics of the property tax transfer. In other words, the intent was the base, we have a base amount that was gonna be transferred to the property tax. And that was this number right here. And then in subsequent years, that property tax was to be uh, increased by the same growth in assessed valuation that was being experienced within the city so that it was fair to both sides. That in other words, the proportional amount of the 2.6 million is always being increased by the proportion of property tax increase or decrease. So in order to uh, validate this, what that number should be, I uh, did an extract from the city's uh, ERP accounting system and highlighted this line here, which is the property tax. So we have an authoritative source that we can all agree on. And to make it readable, I put it on this slide. So the secured property tax that the city is receiving uh, up to 2012 was about 5.6 million. In 2013, we didn't really do a property tax transfer uh, following the LAFCO agreement. We actually wrote a check to the um, fire district every time we received a disbursement from the county. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> so 
our, our property tax went to three million and the district got two million. Subsequent to that, our property tax increased by these amounts every year, which represents this amount of annual growth. So the amount that should have been transferred to the county is are these amounts in this column right here. Uh, all we're doing is we need to ask the county to fill out this column for us. How much did they actually transfer? And if they transferred more than that, then we have a problem and we wanna know why. If they transferred less than that, then the district might be asking, you know, why aren't we getting everything that we intended to get? So that's where we stand right now. Uh, later on in the staff report, I mentioned that um, I'd been having conversations with uh, uh, Russ Irwin, a very concerned citizen of the city, someone I worked with when I was still at the city and I admire and respect. Uh, and, you know, actually he kind of agreed with me. He, he put in one of his emails that all that remains is to see what the county actually did. So uh, at this point, I think when we get uh, the reconciliation back from the county, we can actually see then what this is, and then we can have an action plan on moving forward. Now, what, what would be the next steps? The second part of your question is, what services are we getting from uh, the amount of money that's being transferred over there? And that'd be a good question to ask the fire chief at a subsequent meeting, uh, to put a value to the services that are being provided. Now, as, as we determined in the, in the, in the annex, the LAFCO study, uh, that we were, dis, we were um, uh, not gonna be in the fire business anymore, and the uh, district is, and the county's deliberation, uh, the LAFCO's deliberation is, it has to be fair to both sides. There has to be an equitable revenue transfer and an equitable transfer of services to pay for itself. And, um, and by granting that uh, annexation agreement, they were uh, saying that this was an equitable agreement on both sides. So it's just a matter now of confirming the numbers that were being sent. Um, unless there's any questions on this, I can go to the second issue. Um, can I ask you, Charlie, what was the, I'm sorry, I'm, it's probably somewhere I just can't find it. What was the percentage that our our agreement was that we were gonna transfer of our property tax? Well, you know, at the time of the agreement and in all the LAFCO agreements, and, and so this is a hard concept, let's put our minds around it. Uh, by Prop 13, the city, get the, the county is allowed to tax a total of only 1%, right, of, of property tax values, that's how, plus any add-ons. So of that 1%, it's distributed amongst all of the different taxing entities. At that time, and probably at the present, the city was getting 25% of that 1%. Now, does that make sense? The city's share of the 1% total property tax uh, was 25%. When we did the annexation, approximately 45% of that 25% was what it represented at the time uh, of the LAFCO agreement. So. Uh, or in other words, 45% of the 25% went to the district and then we kept the rest. And that's what this ratio is right here. Okay, so it's it's not a fixed amount, it's just a percentage of what our overall tax rate is. At the time, yeah. And uh, yeah. the intent was that percentage would grow at the same rate as the total property taxes in the county grew. So okay. this is what the number should be <coughs> being transferred 
because this is the number we're actually receiving. Yeah, no, thanks. This chart is really, uh, I think, very illuminating. <laughs> so, so, so you just said um, 45%, but when I looked at Exhibit A, um, that number was 37%, right? That 2.667 represented 37%. Um, I would have expected that it stayed at 37%. Why, why 45? How do we get there? Okay, um, where did we see 37% in Exhibit A? So if you do the math of the total, right, and then use the uh, 2.667 as part of that. I mean, it's just in our staff report is um, resolution number 5259 for the exhibit. Um, oh, I guess I can pull it up that way, can't I? Sorry, it's, it's this way on my screen, so. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. All right, so on page uh, two, uh, B, one B, for fiscal year 2013-2014 and subsequent fiscal years, the city of Sausalito shall transfer to the district the percentage of the total city of Sausalito uh, that is represented um, by 2.667. So I'm just confirming that in that year one, that, that was 45%. That was the calculation of, of how I calculated the amount and 2013 and the amount that was sent over uh, to that, yeah. Okay, and so- And here's right. the 45% in Exhibit A right here, 44.5. Yep, so, so then in your chart, sorry to make you pull this up, in your chart, you have that right-hand side is vacant. So just to confirm, um, did we, we have not yet got any actual payments with dollar amounts from the county. We have not. Okay, so we have not been able to confirm that. And then you also said, um, LAFCO said the deal was equitable. I mean, I've never seen LAFCO weigh in on equity, but um, so we, we know that Southern Fires are gonna annex Mill Valley. Will we review that then for, for equitable uh, assessment? Meaning, oh. will Sausage pay more per capita for fire protection services than Mill Valley? And if we are, is that grounds for renegotiation? So, yeah, no. So the, um, in order to bring Mill Valley into uh, the fire protection district, it has to be uh, Mill Valley transferring the same amount of resources over for uh, the district to um, pay the services. So it's, it's kind of interesting. There's a countywide, uh, the district-wide parcel tax that existed when uh, we annexed into the district was not applied to Sausalito, right? Because the district had a portion of the property tax and a parcel tax, but we were we didn't want to go through and have a parcel tax and a transfer of property tax, so we just transferred uh, property tax over. Um, and that same situation will uh, result in Mill Valley. So there will be no impact on the city of Sausalito's uh, property taxes. This is a once in time event 
once this occurs, the district can never get more than what we agreed to out of the city of Sausalito, unless the city of Sausalito uh, uh, has a vote to pass that. Vote so that wasn't vote. quite my question though, Charlie. My question is, uh, will Sausalito pay more per capita for fire protection services than Mill Valley? And if so we are paying more per capita, is that grounds for renegotiation? Well, let me take a stab at it. Um, having had some um, consolidation experience, particularly with fire and police, um, it, it really depends on uh, a variety of factors. And you're gonna hear this again when we talk to you about sewer consolidation. Uh, it's not apples to apples. So uh, it, it depends uh, on what the negotiation is um, for Mill Valley. If they join the district uh, by the same means that we have, uh, perhaps we'll all pay the same. Should they pay, uh, should they join the district by uh, another form uh, such as a contract for services and not um, wholesale incorporation, uh, their rate may be different. So it depends on what they negotiate and or pay for. If they pay for X miles of service on a different or similar topography, um, they cut the same deal for facilities that we cut, uh, they cut the same deal for equipment, uh, for passover of employees, if their benefits for those employees are the same, then it, it could be said that the uh, rate should be the same. But all of those factors will likely not match up. Uh, so is there room uh, for renegotiation of the deal? Um, you know, it depends on your view of negotiation. At any point in the process, uh, there could be possibility for renegotiation. But for Sausalito residents and council, to expect that the uh, same rate paid by Sausalito would be the same rate paid by any city that joins a partnership um, is very, very tough to, yeah. to guarantee. Is that your understanding, Charlie? Well, let me add to that. Um, a per capita is not a valid uh, uh, way of looking at it at all. The city of industry has hundreds of millions of dollars of property value, but maybe seven residents. So they're paying hundreds of thousand dollars per capita for fire services because it's being assessed on the property value. It's not being assessed on a per capitation basis. So um, really a per capita doesn't really apply to fire services that are being funded by property taxes. Yeah, another factor that I didn't even get into is insurance rating and I haven't looked at uh, the two cities and how our insurance ratings compare. And you would think because our somewhat neighbors, uh, they'd have the same fire rating, but because of uh, the topography difference um, and the vegetation difference, perhaps not. It, it, you know, there's so many factors that go in. Uh, you know, I know that some of the uh, consolidations that have been done throughout the state, uh, adjacent neighbors pay same rate uh, to, to form a district. And in other cases, uh, depending on the form of partnership, whether it's consolidation, JPA, contract for service, whatever, uh, partners in a district may have different deals. Well, my recommendation and request of staff is that we do look at per capita because I would like to know how we compare to other um, participants with Southern Maroon Fire. And we can argue and they can argue that it's not apples to apples, that's fine, but we still owe our taxpayers um, some type of explanation and I would like to start with per capita, not looking at city of industry, right? I'm just thinking other communities that are in Southern Maroon Fire, particularly since Mill Valley is renegotiating a deal and arguably we have much less uh, foliage and fodder for a fire. So if they had cut a much better deal than we have, I wanna know about it. Sure, that, that's fair. And I wasn't 
um, bringing forward a, a sort of a tutorial on factors that go into rates um, when consolidating uh, utilities and districts. More, more as an education, not more as a pushback uh, or an argument factor. I think uh, we owe our residents uh, information and the information is in the same district, what is everybody paying? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm more concerned that we didn't have any of this information on our files, that we don't have actual numbers from the county. I mean, they just paid this. Presumably somebody has a spreadsheet open on their desktop uh, with the numbers. And I'm concerned that in 2013, I think it was, our CAFR said we were no longer gonna record fire as an expense. But I, I think arguably, given the 45% um, you know, of our property tax, our taxpayers might take issue with uh, that nomenclature. So we have to find a way to keep this uh, better record keeping, I think, uh, in the in the city, and I that that is of a concern. Agreed. We hear yeah, you. I agree too. And however that you know, there's many as you guys are just talking about. There's lots of different ways to slice value and and services, and you know, lots of different factors that go into it. But uh, you know, I think we would be very interested in finding out what the final you know public, of course, terms are for the Mill Valley consolidation, and then how that how that stacks up against just globally ours. And if we, um, if, you know, if we wanted to renegotiate how we would do that or how we would start approaching that. But I mean, the first step is to get the information of how much has actually been paid. So um, I just assume that we have a request into the county for this information and and are we? Um, we do, we do. It, and the ball is in their court. Uh, Charlie and I spoke earlier this week on next steps uh, how do we actually go get it and we have some ideas we just haven't had given everybody's busy schedule we haven't had a minute to connect with Ulia, so we we need to do that uh, probably this week and and then we have a, a another way to to request it hopefully to get a quicker answer okay and then we also have just to refresh my memory um i can't remember if it was in the staff report who are the other municipalities that are members of southern marine fire district i believe it's just um the district and then us, we were added and then Marin, uh, I mean, sorry, Mill Valley was added. So it's just the three, the original district plus Sausalito okay. plus Mill Valley, but I'll, I'll get the chief. What we might do is have the chief come to one of these meetings. Um, so a related question, right, is that, um, so did our auditors, Mays and Associates, did they know about this? So I guess I would wonder what sort of testing or review did Mays and Associates do when they audited our 2013-2014 financial statements, meaning did they make any attempt to verify this large transfer of revenues was done correctly? Um, and if they did, uh, it sh that information should be in their files. Uh, but I'll also point out, um, you know, they, they need that information, I think, legally to give an unqualified opinion on our, our CAFR. So uh, I think it'd be very interesting to ask Mays and Associates how they accounted for this. Um, whether they have any information about it in their files? Actually, I would, uh, I'm gonna say something and then ask Charlie and Ulia to weigh in, but I would assume based on what you said previously um, about the status of the fire fund, because the dollars are assessed by the county, collected by the county and distributed by the county to Southern Marin Fire and do not come through our books, I would be surprised if Mays had uh, contracted for or been asked to include a review. That doesn't say that we couldn't in some fashion ask them to do so. Mm -hmm. yeah, so yeah. let me let, let me go back to uh, the, 
what would the auditors would do and wouldn't do. Uh, we entered into an agreement, a contractual agreement that was approved by LAFCO to detach fire services and be annexed into the district. Uh, and, and that agreement included that we would pay $2,667,000 to the district uh, for mm -hmm. property taxes in year one. And in subsequent years, the county would make the appropriate transfer. We recorded that in the city's books. Auditors then opine on whether or not the uh, financial statements reflect fairly the financial position of the city. In other words, they tested to see, well, what did the contract say? Contract said 2.6 million. What did we pay? City paid 2.6 million. Therefore, the books are, uh, reflect fairly the financial position of the city. Uh, they would have a copy of the LAFCO agreement in their file. They would have a, you know, a copy of the financial statements in their file, but they didn't go out and uh, recalculate what the county did in subsequent years. Right. And just to add to what uh, Charlie did, it's not unheard of uh, reach out to auditors and do a special audit, kind of special project upon procedures. And uh, that's something possible that if, if that's the direction we're getting from the council, we can definitely explore what the, what the cost for this uh, kind of analysis would be. Yeah, these are good point, Yulia, right? Do we want a forensic accountant um, so that they can confirm what was intended and what actually has happened? I think we probably all share the concern that the county can't can't just rattle off this information. I mean, it should be so, seems like it should be so easy for the county to give this to us. Um, it just makes me want to double check uh, the county's numbers. Well, we did get a sense because, um, you know, as you pointed out before, um, Marin Fire has retained the services of the person that we have on, on the meeting here, Charlie Francis. He does uh, have to have a firm and they work for both. Um, so, um, through our conversations with the uh, chief of Marin, uh, South Southern Marin, uh, we had them ask uh, the same question, uh, thinking that if they got an answer quicker than we did, uh, it would heighten our concern, uh, and they did not. So, or, or Charlie, maybe you could address that. Oh, I did ask the chief to submit a, a, a records request to the to Roy Given, asking for that same information. Mm -hmm. So, he has not heard back from Roy yet. We've actually made the request twice. Which isn't satisfying, it's just not alarming. So um, let us pursue, let us drill down a little bit more. Uh, as I said, Charlie had an idea. Uh, we'll bring that forward and see if we can get a quicker answer or an answer from the county uh, before your next meeting. If so, we'll, we'll give you the information we get. Okay. Okay, okay more, more on this subject. Okay. Mayor? I, I don't think, can you guys hear me okay? Yes. I don't think I took public comment yet. I think we got into the staff report and then we got into questions. So, um, if Madam Mayor, we have not taken public comment. Oh, very good. Okay. All right. So I'm going to open this up to public comment right now. I'm not seeing any hands. Are you seeing any, Serge? There are no hands raised at the moment. No hands raised, Mayor Hoffman. Okay. So then I'm going to close public. I'm going to close public comment uh, then in that case. And I think 
Um, I think we've finished our discussion, Ashley. Do we, anybody need to weigh in any more on this? No. No, I just want to clarify. I think, Charlie, you said that, um, that hubs had asked for this information twice from the, from the county? Yes. And they didn't get anything either? The first request was a comprehensive one that asked for uh, more information. We got all the information except what we need, uh, the Sausalito part. Um, I thought I saw that request come across my desk. It, it was dated sometime over the summer, right? Uh, which is before we started looking at this. I'm wondering why did the, why did the chief want that information before we even brought this up as an issue? Oh, I advised the chief to ask for it just to make sure that there was equity. Okay. In other words, I, all of all of these annexations are about equity. They have to be, from my viewpoint, fiscally equitable uh, for for it to work. And um, when I outlined in my uh, proposal to the chief, you know, we just wanted to make sure that everybody was paying what they should be paying. Okay, I appreciate that. Okay, so okay, so then. Do we need to do anything at this point from the city standpoint, you know, to follow up with the request and say, hey, I understand you've been, it's been requested twice. We haven't yes, got that's, it. That's what I was saying earlier, Mayor, is that we have another idea how we're going to pursue it. And as soon as I can get three of us in a conversation, we will pursue that. Uh, I'd leave this on your agenda for next time for an update. Okay, thanks. That sounds good to me. Okay, so now we're going to move on to item C4, um, OPEB and pension, so. Julie, you want me to start on this? Yes, please. Oh, okay. Um, so, pension and OPEB funding, my favorite subject. The <laughs> city of Sausalito is recognized nationally as being a leader in pension reform for uh, what we did prior to 2009, what we did between 2009 and 2015, and where we stand now. Uh, in fact, our our use of a Section 115 trust fund is, uh, we were the first in the nation. Now there's 231 cities that have pension trust funds, uh, the largest being um, the city of Tucson, Arizona, which just deposited $650 million of pension obligation bonds into a Section 115 trust fund, rather than give the money to their uh, equivalent of CalPERS. So it's kind of an interesting thing. So today on my agenda, I want to give you, a, uh, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you what we're going to tell you, and then I'm going to summarize it. Remember Adam's old um, uh, way of making presentations, Jill? You're smiling. Uh, you know, so we'll start with the summary. Summary is, here's our present status. In uh, pension and millions of dollars, I always like to point out that we've been doing what we're legally required to do. And we're, as of uh, June 30 of 2020, CalPERS has $76.9 million uh, from the city of Sausalito being invested in the equity market right now. Uh, we have about $1.9 million in our Section 115 trust, but our unfunded actuarial liability is 100, I mean, our, our accrued actuarial liability is $110 million, which means our unfunded portion is $31 million, uh, and that's 72%. Now I wanna point out, this is unfunded liability is not because of anything the city did. 
the unfunded liability is purely transactional. First of all, actuaries make assumptions about how long people are gonna live, uh, how much the stock market's gonna be making, and, and then they calculate it, what's called the present value of benefits. And then they, we, we fund to that present value of benefits. And then one day, the stock market fell. And it hasn't come back. And so that's what caused this unfunded liability of $31 million, purely a result of stock market performance and a change of CalPERS assumptions, which leaves us at 72% funded. And our OPEB is a little bit different. OPEB had always been what's called a pay-as-you-go program. And when GASB came along and said, we have to start putting the liability on the books, uh, the city uh, actually considered in 2008 creating an OPEB trust fund. They decided not to. And good thing they did, because the stock market fell a couple months later, and we would have lost 30% of what we put into that fund. Uh, coming back to 2015, the city council decided to start an OPEB trust fund. To date, we've put $1.4 million. Our, our liability is at 5.8, which means our unfunded portion is $4.4 million at 23% funded. Now, I also want to point out that in both of these scenarios, the city has a plan. The city has a plan to uh, fund the 31 million and the 4.4, and that's the actuarial report. The actuarial report actually lays out a 20-year plan or a 25-year plan on how we're gonna get to be fully funded, but the city did more. So let's just look at our, our current funding policy. For pension, this is the, the, the plan to get us to 100% funding in 20 years. This is coming from the CalPERS actuarial reports. But the city also created a section 115 trust and that'll get us funded within 15 years. And so I'm gonna show you how that works in a second. And then our policy for OPEB funding uh, is to be 100% funded, of course. Our time frame is 25 years. Uh, right now we've got a 5.2% discount rate and here's how we're gonna get there. And we're gonna say, and right now, the recommendation is, is that in order to avoid any service delivery outcomes, let's continue in our COVID mode for the 21-22 budget and then revisit this policy uh, after the budget's over. Uh, I'm gonna pause. I'm gonna go into detail, but if there's any questions on the summary, I'm happy to answer those. So Charlie, when we, uh, and I don't have these these in front of me right now, but when we um, adopted the pension trust fund and I think it was in 2015, yep. it was 2018, but it was 2018 when we did the business license tax, the BLT and the BLM. We also were gonna fund the pension trust fund um, up to a certain amount. And I think it was 700,000 and then it was another several hundred thousand, I think it was the next year. Yeah. Did we follow through on those or, or how, yep, let, how let's, let's take a look at that. That's the next section. Okay, sorry. <laughs> okay. Janelle, any questions so far? Yeah, um, I just wanna make sure I'm on the same page around our liability. So if you look at Sausalito's 2018-2019 CAFR, the statement of net position, it records a net OPEB liability of about $6 million. 
Um, and that's in addition to net pension liability of about $28 million. So right. I'm reading that to see a total of about $34 million of debt, i.e. unfunded liabilities related to retiree benefits. Where do you capture that? So uh, this is as of 2020, not as of 2019. And uh, the $31 million is pension debt and 4.4 is OPEB debt for a total of 35.4. Okay. Um, and then maybe we're going to... I'm going to explain why the changed. Yes. Okay. So, and I think I had asked staff this before, um, but and maybe you'll get this later on. But I'd like to understand how much we should have in the pension trust uh, for Calpers separately from what we have in OPEB, because my understanding is we should be close to four million, but we have less than that, and I'd like to understand why we have less than that. Uh, and Calpers for his pension. And in CalPERS for pension, if we were fully funded, we would have 110 million. We only have 76.9. Not because of anything we did. Okay, so maybe I'm asking a different question. I think we're using different, um, you answered a different question that I asked. So uh, my understanding is we have the pension trust fund, um, council directed. Uh, oh, okay. That's the section. Okay, but, great. So okay. I would like to know how much we have in this and how yep. much we expected to have. And I'm speculating we were supposed to have four million or more, and we only have around 2.35. Actually, we have 3.3 as of June 30, 2020. Okay, but we still don't have the four, and so I want to understand why we're short yeah. and how that plays right. into the rest of this. So thank you. All right. So uh, trust fund section. This is what a section 115 trust fund is. It's something. Um, that is established by a governmental unit. It's established to set aside money for paying future benefits such as pension and OPEB. Uh, the accumulation of this is exempt from income taxes. Now, I know that sounds funny for a government agency, but it was very important for um, IRS to give a letter ruling that the PAR Section 115 Trust is exempt so that it, because it is a separate entity from the city. And if at any point in time, uh, you didn't have that letter ruling, uh, it could become taxable and then the city wouldn't have as much money as uh, they thought they had or, or were providing for. So uh, that's a very important provision of our Section 115 trusts. Uh, these assets are dedicated to providing benefits to employees, retirees, and beneficiaries. In other words, you can't draw upon that fund for anything else. The contributions are revocable and the assets are legally protected from creditors. It's a best financial practice to have something like this set up. Now, as I mentioned, we were the, the first city in the nation to do it. Uh, and here's why. The League of California Cities uh, published an article that talked about what can cities do about their pension debt? And they said, well, you know, you can develop a plan to pay down it. And um, that's first action that we did. Uh, but you know, you could have a shorter prepayment period. You could be giving more money to kelpers. You could, uh, there's all kinds of different actions, but they have service level implications. So, and those who come over here, we can you change your service delivery method. Uh, or you can raise more money, uh, you know, or you can ask employees for more contributions, which we did. Uh, you could issue a pension obligation bond. Now, this can be, and it cannot be a good thing, and I'll talk about the pros and cons of those if you want. Uh, but the one thing they did recommend 
was to create a pension rate stabilization program. And it's interesting they call it that because that's what we named it. We were the first in the nation to name it the Pension Rate Stabilization Fund. And League of California City says, this is a best practice. So, and how it works is, oh, I'm going too fast here. How it works is we have a trust. It's with an organization called PARS and money is deposited either into the OPEB bucket or into the pension bucket. So we have two buckets. And underneath it, you can have sub-accounts. So we can have a sub-account, here's our, our police pension, here's a SEIU pension payment. So we don't have those sub-buckets set up right now, but we have the ability to further segregate our money that's going into, these, into this pension trust fund. So our initial contribution on July of 2015 was $1 million. Uh, $400,000 was dedicated to OPEP, and 645,000 was coming, uh, was dedicated for our pension payments. <laughs> These amounts were monies that had been previously put aside by the city in, 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 in previous years uh, by putting and setting aside in what's called an internal services fund. So we had been setting aside extra money for our pension and OPEB obligations going back to 2009, I think I uh, was in the staff report. And since then, we've made these additional contributions. We've made 958,000 to OPEB, $1.4 million for pension for a total of 2.4. And you notice this is now as of December 31st, 2020. So we've made some additional payments from that first slide I showed you. And as a result of these uh, contributions, we've got earned $667,000 that we would not have earned if we didn't set up this pension trust fund. And by the way, if we would have took this money and sent it to CalPERS, CalPERS would not have near earned anywhere near this amount of money because they've had losses and they haven't had, uh, uh, they haven't reached their discount rate assumptions in every year since 2015. And uh, the, our funded liability, uh, we would just—it would have just been lost in what I call actuarial abyss. So right now we have a total of four million dollars uh, in our uh, OPEB uh, trust fund. Uh, I can go into year by year, uh, and I will year by year contributions into this fund. But I believe that at this point, we're caught up with what action that the council directed back in 2018. In 2015, when this was first set up, I had a different idea of what the funding policy uh, would I would have recommended, but that's when I uh, retired. And so the, the my pension fund and OPEB funding policy vision was never effectuated because I wasn't here to help with that. So Charlie, um, my understanding is that Yulia's predecessor, Melanie, put together various scenarios. And when I reviewed those scenarios, um, the plan, it was to have $4 million in the pension trust as of June 30th, 2021. Again, was that for pension or combined pension OPEB? No, I'm not sure what was in Melanie's mind right then. But uh, as of December 31st, 2020, we have $4 million in it. Can I jump in on here? Because I kind of inherited the, what I had to do for the first mid-year budget adjustment that I did in 2018. And uh, when I when we looked at the, the files, what the council adopted, we actually followed everything that was 
on the list at the time. So we allocated the um, amounts exactly that was in Melanie's presentation at the time. So what the, where the balance, initial balance was coming from, I agree with Charlie, I can't speak to that. But what I discovered in the, uh, on the OFAB side, uh, the city has been doing actuarial evaluation as we were supposed to be doing on, on schedule, but uh, as a result of this valuation, the actuaries uh, come up with the, uh, EBC, the minimum required contribution to the trust, and typically, well, best practice would be allocate at least that amount to the trust, and what I, uh, what I found that in the past, in the past year, that wasn't done with the OPEP. And again, there, are, there could be multiple reasons why not, because we, we just have budget issues, we just have other priorities, and et cetera, et cetera. So I can't speak for that. But since I joined the city in uh, November 2018, we caught up and started finding this based on the minimum actuarial contribution. Can you see? Can you hear me? Okay. Sorry, my, my computer <laughs> just screen blinked for some reason. So, uh, and uh, back to the pension trust, so there was a large contribution of famous 750,000. So all of this, whatever council approved in the last year's uh, two-year cycle, we built in and contributed to the trust. Sure. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. And so I, I had gotten a download from uh, former councilwoman Joan uh, Cox, and she was the one, I'll send it to you, Charlie and Yulia, the, the um, spreadsheets that Melanie had based her advisement on that the council then executed on and so my, my question is I you know just very uh, sort of uh, straightforward which is is the four million dollars a total combination of pension and OPEB or should we have four million dollars in the pension trust itself without the OPEB amounts and so um, that's I think an outstanding question and then you made a point about this interest um, Charlie so then my follow-up question for you is what is the long-term average rate of return on the PARS trust assets Oh, I don't have that right in front of me. I can get it for you. I believe it's around 5%. Great. 1% so, would have been great. Okay. Yeah. The, when we set the trust up, um, the city council adopted an investment policy uh, that targeted the very conservative range. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's been changed since then, but the, uh, that was the, the whole goal of the city council in 2015 was not to send money off to someplace and lose it. It was to set it aside for pension reform purposes. So let's, uh, unless there's more questions on section 115 trust, which I'll come back to, uh, can we move on to pensions next? Yes. So um, start off with, here are all the reforms that the city enacted. And actually, I wanna go back to 2005, just really briefly. In 2005, when every other city in California was uh, uh, improving, the, increasing the benefits, the city of Sausalito went to its employees, except for the fire department, and said, We're, you're gonna start paying the employer's share of the CalPERS pension. So when the 2009 hit, we were not in anywhere near the shape that all the other cities in California were because all the other cities were paying both the employee and the employer's share of the pension payments. So we were a lot better off going into the recession. Uh, during 
from 2009 to 2013, we looked and we said, we have an opportunity to pay off these side funds. And this goes to your point that you made earlier, Janelle. Why should we be paying high debt on something when we have cash sitting around making 1%? And so uh, we use that money to pay off these side funds. And boy, is it a good thing we did because when the PEPRA reform passed, they blended all these side funds into the what's called um, uh, the, the amortization basis, and we would not have been able to substantially reduce our debt uh, after PEPRA. So we did all that before PEPRA took an effect. Um, and then we did something. We, we negotiated with our unions, and we rushed to do that. But the day before um, PEPRA was enacted, we closed our high pay, our higher pension tier to all new entrants, and we created a tier two for classic employees, uh, for both police and for both um, uh, uh, SEIU, miscellaneous, I mean. Uh, I can't even begin to calculate how much money that saved us uh, in terms of not having uh, uh, any new employees coming in now uh, would have been in that, that prior tier one, but now they're in our tier two. And then, um, and then we required our tier one employees to, to pay the final average compensation premium of the employer's contribution share. So to make it equitable with PEPRA, we lowered our pay ranges so that new people coming into the city would not have as high of percentage cost of pension as others. And then we had transferred our firefighters to Southern Marin. Uh, so all in all, that all led up to how, what else can we do? And in 2015 is when we set up the Section 115 Trust Fund. Any question on the history? So uh, cities invested in uh, software from a company called GovInvest, and this is one of the outputs of the software. It's very powerful software. It allows us to stress test different scenarios uh, uh, of pension scenarios. And as of right now, the blue line is, are those numbers I gave you before. It's our market value of assets. And this is our plan to pay off the unfunded liability. The assets grow, the unfunded liability shrinks, and then we're paid off uh, here when the liability goes away. Uh, and so, and that amount are the amounts that I showed you in that previous slide, but let's go here. Here's what the amortization basis really looks like. If we were, if we didn't have a Section 115 trust fund and we were only going to pay CalPERS actuarial, this is what our um, unfunded liability would go down to and we'd be paid off by the year 2041. Uh, but you see over here, we've invested this money in the trust. We put in 645000 in the pension trust in July of 2015. It grew by investment earnings and then in 2019, we caught up with uh, those payments that Julia mentioned earlier. Uh, we're now at 2020, we're at 1.9 million. And if we continue to make a, a, a contribution of $250,000 a year, we'll have accumulated uh, $10 million by the year 2036, which will be, when you combine that with the CalPERS market value of assets, means we'll be able to be fully 100% funded by the year 2036. Let's see, here we go. 
which shows that the market value of assets is growing. This is our pension funding policy of continue. And right now, the recommendation is during the COVID crisis to adopt a policy of continuing to contribute 250,000 annually to the section 115. In addition to what we're mandated to do by law is to make our CalPERS annual required contribution. Pension questions. So I don't have any further questions right now. Janelle might, but then I'll open it up for public comment. So. Yeah, we still have OPEP to go through. Well, okay, then, let's, then maybe we should just do it all and then we'll um, we'll do OPEP and then we'll open for public comment. Okay. So Janelle, do you well, have any can questions? I just add one, one uh, item on pension? So you may remember we had a very difficult year, tough choices last year. So there was a whole list of reductions that we put together. So this was not one of them. So we continue, as Charles said, we continue the course what, what was before the council for the fiscal year 1820 and contributed uh, money to the trust as according to the table. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, why don't you roll into OPEB and then we'll, we'll ask for public comment. Okay. So our OPEB, uh, similar type of looking graph. Uh, we started contributing to the OPEB trust and we're committed by policy at this point to continue to make the annual required contribution as computed in the actuarial report, uh, which those assets will grow over time and uh, the sum of the unfunded liability then gets shrunk to, and what's interesting about our OPEB, our OPEB reform is that we closed OPEB altogether for new entrants. In fact, we did something that I don't know of any city that has ever done that. Uh, and that's, uh, and that's what creates this to go away. You notice then the, in the pension graph, it went up and it stayed up here being fully funded. But our OPEB liability actually goes away and we're creating a huge surplus for our future um, citizens. So in 2005, we set aside 50,000. We started setting aside more money. We adopted a policy to set aside 1% of salaries in a separate internal service fund. And then in 2012, we actually said any employee who has three years less of service, uh, you don't have defined uh, benefit OPEB anymore. We'll give you a defined contribution program. And then we went to the whole workforce and we said, if you will want to opt out of the defined benefit program, we will contribute $1,000 a year into a 457 plan for you. 17 employees actually took that option. And Yuli, I think there's only three left today. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So we don't have that $1,000 payment obligation anymore. We just completely uh, uh, opted out of our defined, and all we have left, and then we closed our defined benefit OPEB for all future employees. So eventually, everyone is going to actuarially die. And, uh, and that's what creates this long tail here. Our OPEB liability will go away. Um, so, and a very interesting thing happened uh, it, last year. Uh, at June 30, 2019, as you pointed out earlier, uh, Vice Mayor, uh, our OPEB liability, total OPEB liability was $7.3 million. And uh, we expected that liability to be $7.7 .7 million at June 30, 2020. But all of these changes occurred. Two million, almost $2 million of unexpected change in assumptions, uh, in discount rates, 
and other activities. So our OPEB liability at June 30, 2020 is $5.788 million. So uh, there's a couple things to say about this graph. Uh, one is that the city does everything it can do. And the second thing, it shows you how fickle actuarial reports are because they're always subject to either market valuation or assumption changes. Uh, and here's our contributions to our, uh, to our OPEB plan. So here's our liability and here's our contributions. So in our uh, plan, we initially put $400,000 in, put another 279,000 in 2016, 2017 only 30,000. 2018 we put 165, 2019 we put in 212. 2020, 62. And this, if we continue to make our annual required contribution, oh, this is going the wrong way. Oh, here we go. 400,000 went up to 679. And here's, here's our total assets as they're growing. And our total assets equal our liability down here in the year 2045. So this is our funding plan. These two columns represent how much the city has to pay and how much the trust fund is gonna be paying. And notice what happens here in the year 2044. Half a million dollar payment that was coming from the general fund is now available to uh, either increase services or uh, improve quality of life for sustenance assistance as represented by this chart here. City stops making contributions and the trust fund makes the contributions going forward because the pool is closed. And so the city, we're kind of recommending then uh, that the city continue with its current policy during the COVID times of just making the uh, annually defined contribution to the section 115 until we're fully funded. You can always contribute more in the future, but for the, as instructions for the current budget year, we're recommending that you uh, continue the funding policy. So now I think we're ready for questions from the public <laughs> and from you, of course. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead, Janelle, if you have a follow-up. Yeah, so it's just a couple, thank you so much, Charlie. I, I see you put a lot of time and effort into this. And I really, I really appreciate this. Um, so I think just, you know, the purpose of the plan is clear uh, to keep the city's pension contributions from the general fund uh, fairly stable despite increased demands from CalPERS. And, and it seems, if I'm reading this correctly or understanding correctly, that this is accomplished by, in the early years, putting contributions and general fund excess revenues into the pension trust, and then in the later years, withdrawing this money to help uh, pay CalPERS. Is that, is that accurate? Yes. Okay, so I think you know overall the strategy makes sense, but of course uh, that was in the details. So whether or not it'll be a success depends on the I think a couple of things: assumptions that are made, uh, the actual investment results, right? Especially uh, Calper's actual ROR. Um, like, what if we have another 2008? Uh, and whether or not the city actually follows the plan. So my request to staff is the is the following. Um, I think number one, we need to get much more uh, clarity on plan assumptions, especially the assumed CalPERS actual investment return on investment, right? So the way I, I read this is the most important assumptions in the plan are the general fund future revenue, 
the Measure O sales tax, which is assumed to not be renewed, the CalPERS uh, annual contributions that pay off the unfunded liability, and I think you actually titled that CalPERS UAAL, but I yep. think you meant the unfunded liability. Um, the CalPERS actual average ROR investments, and then Sausalito annual salary expenses. So overall, I think the council needs uh, really needs to educate itself much more on the status of our long-term debt obligation for pension and OPEB. But I, I really think that some more clarity on the, on the assumptions that I outlined, um, I think it would be useful for the council if this exercise is updated based on current information and then document, documenting, making very clear what the assumptions are. Um, and I noticed that in the past you had hired Bartle and Associates. So I, I would actually be interested to hear your thoughts on um, hiring Bartle and Associates again to give an updated assessment of our current pension status so that we have that outside um, authorization and confirmation of where we stand. Yeah. So a uh, <clears throat> couple of things, uh, and, and maybe I'll, I'll work uh, backwards. So uh, because we used Bartol and Associates and we used Nicolay and Associates in the past, uh, Bartol for pension. And what Bartol would do is just uh, reconfirm the actuarial report uh, and make a presentation to the city council. He wasn't um, uh, giving advice. He wasn't uh, talking about uh, anything other than here's what's in your actuarial report. We know what's in the actuarial report and I can prepare a comprehensive presentation of all the assumptions that are used, uh, put it into everyday language for you. Right. Uh, the GovInvest software that we have does goes even one step further. Prior to having GovInvest software, I would have to call up an actuary, and at, like Bartel, and I would say, you know, I wanna run a scenario. I wanna assume that CalPERS is gonna, that they were earned 4.7% last year. I think that's going to be the new normal. What will our pension cost be for the next 10 years if they don't meet their uh, discount rate assumption? And then you say, oh, I'll be happy to get that for you. That'll be two weeks and another $10,000. Uh, and, and I'm like, you don't know me very well, Janelle, uh, Vice Mayor, but I'm like Jack Bauer from 24. And say, I want it now. So uh, this software that we have, allows us to do that on the fly. We can start making that analysis and get instant answers. And the reason that I was using it then and we have it now was in order to, uh, I did back in 2015 exactly what you asked. I said, let's assume a lower rate of return. Let's um, uh, assume that our experience is not gonna be consistent with the CalPERS assumptions. So therefore, what do we think our rates would be? And the whole purpose of setting up the Section 115 Trust Fund was to make an assumption higher than what our actual CalPERS payments were going to be and, then and put that into a long-term financial plan. And in that long-term financial plan, we say to the city council, we might have to decide to, to crowd out some services today. We may have to decide to uh, raise revenues today. We may have to decide on how we're gonna use our reserves in the future, but let's stabilize our long-term financial plan using these new CalPERS assumptions that we're making rather than CalPERS is enforcing on us. And the city council came back to me through the finance committee, just like you have now, and said, well, okay, but what are we gonna do with those additional 
discretionary payments. You know, we don't want you to send it to CalPERS, and that's what spawned the idea of setting up a, the pension trust fund. So um, that could be a future policy that you make where we stress test, we go through a, a comprehensive scenario plan, and you come up with a, a more aggressive funding strategy for uh, CalPERS. And I believe you should do that. What we're recommending is that for the current budget, that you go ahead with the plan that's in place, and then after the budget's adopted, uh, we come back to you with a series of meetings uh, and start doing the stress testing on the pension and OFED plans so that um, you and uh, the city council uh, understands completely uh, as they start making their strategies for 21, 20, or 22, 23, and beyond. That's my recommendation. Okay, that sounds like we're on the same page. So um, more clarity on those assumptions and in plain language for everybody, I think it'd be great. Okay. Yeah. I think, uh, agreed. Okay, so let's, um, I'm gonna open it up for public comment now if there's no further questions from council members or staff. Um, okay, I'm not seeing anything, Serge, do you? Madam Mayor, I see no hands raised at the moment. Okay, very good. Then I'm gonna close public comment and I'm gonna, we're gonna move on to our next, um, item on our agenda for the, which is the strategic plan. And so, or at least a discussion on how we're gonna, what that's gonna look like. So, um, whoever's gonna give that staff report, go ahead. Yeah, I just, I can very briefly introduce the item. I don't think we need a lot of introduction here. So we already brought this forward at the January 19th meeting. Uh, when we discussed planning for the strategic plan. And at the time, Finance Committee recommended to carry over the strategic plan that was in place and was adopted in March of uh, 2020. But uh, to minimize the consulting costs, committee did not recommend proceeding with the strategic planning session that we originally planned for February 27. Uh, yet at the council meeting on February 9, a request was made to reconsider this uh, course of action and bring it back to the finance committee meeting so that's uh, why you can see it on your agenda today and uh, you can see in your packets we just pretty much carried over all the materials that we already presented to you previously okay so we okay. just went to redirection yeah so the status is that we had already um pulled for and reserved a day for february 27th for the city council to have some sort of strategic planning meeting, uh, it's a Saturday. And so, uh, but we, in prior finance committee meetings, the focus on that was going to be heavy on finance, heavy on budget, heavy on, um, you know, our, our plan, a uh, lot, of, lot of budgetary issues on COVID recovery and strategic plan. So, but we're not there yet with regard to the finance from what my understanding. And so that was where we were in this gray area of what are we gonna do and how are we gonna go forward? Um, especially in light of the fact that the council had spent a whole day last year doing, I think, um, you know, a six year um, strategic plan from 20, or sorry, seven year, from 2020 to 27, um, and then uh, put it on hold because of COVID, from my understanding. So uh, I, I have looked at it uh, I've read it. Um, it's very good. It's 18 pages long, but it's a broad policy statement of, you know, um, overall mission, vision, values, um, 
goals and then you know strategic uh, strategies underneath each one of those goals right so uh, to me it made absolutely no sense to engage another a consultant to do this again for a year later when this plan had never even been implemented and we're in still in the middle of our COVID emergency so that's kind of where the status um, that we're at and when it was brought up at the city council meeting that was the status and so um, so my first question is um, I think it was said at the city council meeting that the consultant um, was already engaged and paid for but now is that not I, I wasn't aware that that was the that that was the status that Mr. Larson had already been engaged and paid for. Is, so what is the status of Mr. Larson? The consultant has been retained and uh, uh, the initial assessment and work has been done, which was partially started. We, uh, well, per finance committee direction, we kind of placed it on hold and uh, the date, I'm not sure, we, we need to double check with the consultant if the date, uh, if the Council decided to proceed with the strategic planning, so I'm not sure if this date is still feasible. It's possible, but yes, we've we've been already we engaged with the consultant. So how much how much was he engaged for, and what exactly has he done? Since we didn't even know we were going to go forward, so right. Well, typically, well, wait, well, let me let me intercede here. So the 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 staff uh, Ulia uh, brought forward to the full council uh, a request uh, to scheduled the same uh, format as prior years. The discussion was whether given COVID that was where you wanted to go or not. And the full council said, yes. So that was, I'm running out of battery. I may lose you, but isn't that what occurred here, Ulia? Uh, yes, that's correct. And we included it in the budget calendar. And the idea was not to redo- well, Hold on, no, no, no. When did this, this came before the full city council and the full city council said engage Greg Larson for a strategic planning session. What day, I don't, I mean, I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm just, I, I wasn't, I'm not, I'm so not the, the contract is within city manager's authority. So you did not see the contract, contract approval on the council's agenda. But what uh, Marsha is saying, we, we did include this item as part of the budget planning discussion. So that was included in the budget planning discussion and budget calendar that I believe went to council on January 12th. Okay, so, so it was not voted on by the council. The work has started. The date has been set aside. Is that accurate? I mean, I just like this subcommittee to have a, a, a realistic, robust picture of where we are and where we've been before they make decisions moving forward. Am I frozen? No. I I think that question is to Yulia. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, so let me, so the original idea was uh, when, when we engaged in, with the consultant, the original idea was not to redo the six years of work that the council did last year, but more focus on the priorities setting within this document that you reviewed and that's in your packet and see uh, given that we have uh, reduce resources, what priorities uh, the council, the full council want to kind of prioritize uh, for the budget. So staff can build together the budget document based on your priorities. That was the idea just for one year, uh, given that we're still in COVID environment, I completely agree with that. So we are not in normal environment right now. Okay, so what's the, what's the cost of his contract? 
uh, I believe it's about 12,000. It's in your agenda item number one. So let me look it up very quickly. And, and, and how is he being paid today yeah, on And has he been paid anything? Uh, not yet. Do but I believe some work uh, has been done. Yes, yeah, so we, we, we probably have invoice coming our way. Has anybody seen that work product? Uh, typically, it's uh, it's some assessment that consultant does on its own before the interview. Well, the, the next step would be interviewing the council. So that hasn't started yet, obviously. <laughs> so have we as staff seen a work product at all? Mm, not yet, just a few conference calls and uh, and uh, information that the review of the budget and, and the work that has been done since uh, last uh, March. So while you agree there may have been some work done in preparation for this event that is to occur next week, you haven't seen a work product as the vice mayor is asking you. Well, there is uh, there is no work product due at this time. But okay. what we've done, we, we shared some information for the consultant to review, specifically about budget information and things like that. Okay. I'm sorry, and there's a termination, just so we know our options, um, there's a termination provision, so we could feasibly line item and pay for time and materials based on what they've, he's done, and, or, do, or we would get dinged the full 12-4? No, I'm, well, again, we will have to review the contract with the legal, I'm pretty sure, I've been confident we will not be up for, for the whole full cost of the agreement, but we will probably have to face some work for what this already done and Yulia was the 12 for for an eight hour session meaning if we only did like a three hour session is there room to I guess sort of negotiate it down if we if we went that direction uh, well what we well let me let me say so this contract that we negotiated is significantly less than what uh, was done last year well due to the reduced scope as I just described so we didn't really do it based on the hours it's more of a kind of set <laughs> set price uh, what, what would it take to deliver the priority setting for the council and, and finalize and report that would be acceptable for the council and but, but, yep. but presumably we contracted for a full day's worth of facilitated session and the council the subcommittee is now discussing less than a full day something around two to three hours the fees would be less no we can definitely reopen this conversation i guess what i'm trying to say the contract is now in place so if we if we if the committee recommends to go back and renegotiate the contract uh, that's i guess that that's part of the direction we are looking for right now so whatever you decide So I think that my initial um, thought on this is still uh, in play, which is when you look at the strategic plan, right? We're talking about two different things. When you talk about strategic plan, we're not talking about the budget that we're going to be working on as soon as we get the capper done, right? So April, May, it's going to be all about what's our budget for the next year. Um, which, you know, we have to have the financials done for that. Like we can't, there's no point in even discussing anything until we actually know what our position is, right, on different things. Um, so strategic plan is just, 
you know, this is high level kind of stuff. This doesn't, you know, it, it's, it's kind of related to uh, budget, but really not. It's, it's more, um, you know, what are our values, you know, um, you know, overarching goals, utilize comprehensive plan to balance the community's character and diversity with its evolving needs. Well, yeah. I think there are two, two main um, changes. One is, uh, you know, when you did the six-year plan, uh, you were looking at um, pre-COVID. And so now you're dealing with COVID. Uh, even if you were in COVID when you did your strategic plan, and I'm not sure of that, the impact of COVID now is dramatically different than when you did the six-year plan. The second change factor that you're dealing with is a majority change in your council. So uh, where this council sees the community uh, and the strategic plan going uh, would be theoretically different. So you've got two areas where you need to update your strategic plan. Not a major overhaul, not a major redo, not starting from scratch. As far as we know at this point, you might get into it and decide that with this new uh, council, it, it needs uh, uh, to be redone, but you could go into this session uh, updating those two key areas. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at, um, I suppose, you know, but it makes no sense to me. We're still in, we're still in COVID, right? Like we haven't, we don't know how it's going to impact us long-term. We're, this was, at the time this was done, if we were at the very beginning of COVID and the, my understanding is that the council decided to table it and just get through, you know, just, just try to react as well as we could for COVID. So to me, and this goes back to our conversations back in January, 2021 is really about reacting to the whatever, however COVID has affected our budget and continue to, um, continue to adjust our budget as we're still moving through this pandemic. So to me, it makes no sense whatsoever to even look at a seven year plan without, you know, we're still in treading water reaction phase. I mean, and how are we going to make through? But we can't, for the next year, for 2021, starting January, regardless of our fiscal year, but starting January 21 through December 2021, it's all about fast reaction as we move through the year. It's not about, there's no such thing anymore as an annual, at least right now, as an annual plan. You can't. We have to move much faster. We have to react much faster. So, so to waste time and energy and council time on a, a seven-year plan or adjusting a seven-year plan, to me, it makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, we can, what we can do is, um, you know, we can, I, I'm not, I'm not opposed to generally, you know, having the new city council members look at it and keep in mind, we're having, we're going to have a brand new city manager, I hope. <laughs> Fingers no, crossed. No, no, no. We will have a new city manager, brand new. <laughs> so. So again, to me, again, it makes no sense whatsoever to spend and waste time and energy and money on um, this type of, you know, full day exercise or even a half day exercise. To me, this is a, hey, this is what the council did when everything was rosy, which is why council member Cleveland Knowles said, um, take a look at it. If there's anything glaring that you see or if there's anything that we need to change to help us focus on the very difficult tasks that we have before us this year, then let's talk about it. Otherwise, we're going to do the same thing this year. My recommendation is that we suspend this to the extent that it needs to be suspended, um, you know, for the rest of this rest of 2021. And we can revisit in January of 2022 and see where we're at. Um, 
but I, you know, I just, I don't see the, I just don't see the, the efficacy of doing this during this time period. What we really need is, is our hard data of finance. And so, you know, we have this date set aside on February 27th. I, you know, I would suggest that we move it to a half a day to three hours that we, the first hour that we talk about protocols, because we haven't done that yet, protocols and, and just basic city council operate, how, how to operate as a city council. Um, and maybe, maybe it didn't even take, take an hour. Again, they're already written. I mean, we can adopt the protocols from, from prior years. Um, and that the second hour, the second um, hour or two is that we can talk about, you know, what adjustments we need to make to our, um, you know, to our strategic plan, understanding that, um, you know, I, that, that it's gonna look very similar um, and, and the effect of it is, is going to be, you know, I don't know, somewhat um, questionable because we're just not, you know, we just don't have the, you know, we just don't have the assets to be able to focus um, on some of the more aspirational aspects of this. So that's kind of what I'm thinking. And then the third hour um, is maybe, uh, or maybe if we have time, uh, we might want to spend on uh understanding what we're gonna to try to accomplish this next year, um, a remit for some of the boards and commissions and focus for the boards and commissions. Because I think sometimes the boards and commissions, uh, um, you know, what they come up with isn't specific enough direction from the city council. So sometimes they're just reactive to whatever, um, whatever might come to them as a board and they think is, is worth merit. But I mean, we have, we need our boards and commissions to actually do the, um, do the work that they're assigned to do in, in the context of what we need from the, you know, from them as a city council. So, um, to help us tap on their expertise, which is the whole thought of it, right. And, in, in developing policy and direction forward. So that's kind of the way I see the, the strategic, if we do a retreat that it's more along those lines, I don't think that we need a consultant to come in. I feel like, um, you know, I feel like we have a staff member that's probably able to just give us the, the big overview, hey, read the, you know, this is the, this is the recap of the strategic plan from last year. This is what the council did in keeping with COVID. You know, do, does anybody see any, um, this is a seven year plan, does anybody see anything that they would like to add or adjust based on what's going on with the reality of our situation right now? So I don't know, um, Vice Mayor, if you wanna, if you wanna jump in or. Yeah, I, I think you laid it out really well and the only thing I would do is maybe connect um, a dot that came to, to mind. I think that um, your point about working with the boards and commissions is a really interesting one. And we have a really good foundation on the sort of seven year plan, but now we have this sort of um, extra special scenario that we have to identify through COVID. And we also have budget cuts. So, so I think if we spend time with the boards and commissions, what we can do is articulate a very COVID specific um, strategy in our interactions with them um, that I think could be the right way to capture um, this element of the strategic plan. So I, I like that idea. And I think the direction that we give to our boards and commissions will reflect the unique situation we're in today. Um, and that sort of lives on top of the strategic plan that, that you're talking about. So I, I like that a lot. 
Okay, now one last question that I think we understand exactly what you're looking for. Um, does it need to be on the 27th? Is that what you're, you have in mind? Well, I think um, I want to use that time well, right? So um, unfortunately, it's, so it's not going to be a, 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 a factual budget reaction, you know, kind of conversation, which might have merited a full day. <laughs> but we're not there yet, right? So we're not there yet with our financials. So um, I would say since we've already got um, everybody consensus, I think we do need to touch base on protocols. Uh, I think we do need to touch base on some of the boards and commissions. And I think um, sort of setting the overall strategy for 2021, which is COVID recovery, and that's kind of the lens that we look through. Uh, I think that's a good calibration for us. And if we have any financials, I mean, great, let's throw them in. I mean, that's if we have them by, um, you know, by that day, by next week, then we can, you know, provide those as homework and say, it looks like this is what our fourth quarter, oh, sorry, not fourth, second quarter numbers look like. So we have first quarter numbers and we have, I think, second quarter numbers coming. Um, you know, and if we have the CAFR done, <laughs> even though that's going to come, you know, even though that's going to come back to the city council for presentation anyway. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Um, I'm thinking that that's time well spent. The rest of it is just the rest of it is going to get folded into our budget discussions so uh, and that's just you know you know that's probably the appropriate place to put it so i think if we can get through these these three things and not get bogged down into you know um and a, a redo of the strategic plan right but it's just targeted specific relevant updates for anything, the world, you know, as it exists today. Um, or we can say, look, we expect recovery. And this is our, this is our seven year plan expecting recovery right now. If next year with a new city manager, if we have not, you know, rebounded from COVID, then, then that probably is a time to chuck it and start anew um, in, in the first quarter of 20, um, 2022. So that's kind of what I'm thinking. So I'd only add, um, since we're not quite sure what we're on the hook with, with the consultant, if we are on the hook um, and we have to pay something, um, I would say it could be nice to have, I think this individual, I think when I went last year, I think they facilitate conversations, right? Um, sure. So if we've paid, then by all means, I would, they can come and facilitate a, a conversation. We can get what we, we paid for. So I don't want to just, but if we don't have to pay the full amount, then let's not, but certainly if we have to, then, then let us know what services we can enjoy from that. Okay. All right. So before um, further, I, I need to um, attend another meeting. And so I'm going to say uh, for today, is there anything else I can be helpful with? No, I don't think so. Oh, go ahead. I, I sent you an email, Marcia. Um, the, the city leases, um, I think, are sort of two weeks past due for us. So if you can follow up on that, I know EDAC wanted to see them. We asked for them. So I'd love an update on that. And several council members have, have asked for them. Uh, staff is compiling all the different pieces of information. They've received the uh, requests that you've had for a certain standardization, which uh, is going to take us a little bit more time rather than just downloading what we have. Uh, reworking it to put it in the different formats is going to take a little bit more time than what we had planned. 
So we'll get it to you as soon as possible. I don't have an ETA on it at this point because I just saw the request for reformatting today. Okay, let me ask, so before you go, Marsha, I have one more thing. So should we, uh, Vice Mayor, should we, since we're at two hours right now, should we just, you know, send a benchmark or, or add the benchmark issue to our next finance committee meeting or do you want to plow through it today? Um, well, you know, the staff report um, says it's a good idea, but we don't have time. So uh, maybe what we need to do is develop or appoint some type of subcommittee to this or task force or something who can dig into that. And and because, you know, if, if folks dig into that but don't have supportive staff, we're not going to get the information from neighboring communities, um, but staff doesn't have time to do it. So is there a way to support staff to move that conversation forward? Okay, so let me let me tell Marsha that she can go. Bye, Marsha. Okay. You're, you're, we'll figure this out without you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Okay, but first, uh, I need to take a public comment on the um, on this item uh, 5C. So um, I'll open it up right now for public comment. And I'm not seeing any hands raised. Uh, Madam Mayor, I see no hands raised either. Okay, very good. Then I'm going to close it, close public comment. Okay, and then we're going to move on to the next, which is C, uh, C6 benchmark. Um, okay, so, so Vice Mayor, do you want to, um, let's, okay, so let's do this. In light of the staff report and in light of you know, that, that we think this would be a good exercise, uh, but we understand that um, staff is probably not gonna be able to staff it anytime soon because because of all the other pressures that we have. Um, I'm gonna, if you don't mind, I'm gonna ask you to, to come up with a proposal about okay. how we might be able to achieve this. <laughs> I will take that on. <laughs> I'm not gonna ask you to do it uh, yet, okay. but uh, yeah. So why don't you come up with a concept of, uh, either an ad hoc working group or, um, you know, whatever, however you think we could, um, you know, achieve this and with staff input. Uh, if I may uh, just add a little bit here, I, I do believe that benchmarking is a great idea and it's it's definitely best practice to, to, con well, to, to do this kind of work. Uh, as staff report <laughs> indicates, well, it's just not feasible for us right now because we are trying to just stay current and compliant with the state law <laughs> and produce the uh, required reports. What we can do if it's a, if it's a working group or community members or, or I guess can provide and share the expertise, we can give them a credit and include this information into the budget document. And then hopefully with this, once we have a little bit more capacity, we can uh, expand and verify. My only concern, I just, I don't have staff right now to verify all this information. So we cannot put our name that this information is, get, is uh, accurate, but we can definitely give the credit to whoever will be doing it. Okay, well, let's see what we come up with. We may wanna have, uh, you know, our other municipalities want to, may want to join with us, right? And sort of also come up with their own, you know. Yeah, no value might. Yeah. yeah, right? So. That's kind of what I'm thinking. So, okay, I'm gonna give this to you. And, and Janelle, if you wanna bring this back at the next finance committee meeting? Yeah, happy to. Okay, so that's what I'm gonna mark in my notes. Um, okay, all right, uh, any public comment on this? <laughs> Item 60. None yet. I'm not seeing any. Okay. 
Mm. I see no hands raised, Madam Mayor. Very good, thank you. Okay, so I'm gonna close public comment and I am going to uh, close this item and I'm going to adjourn. Oh, actually, before we adjourn, if, if I can ask uh, the mayor and vice mayor to look at the calendar and, and see what would be the next committee. Yeah. So, Yulia, do you tell us there's four or five items on that, um, on the future agenda items? Based on your workload, um, could we have another meeting in two weeks? Well, actually, I wanted to ask for another meeting uh, and uh, set this date because we, we do want to bring you coffee. So I think I shared uh, offline that we, we got a little bit uh, of delay because of the COVID, I mean, literally <laughs> COVID <laughs> hit one of the key uh, uh, key consultants who, who was helping us with uh, this project. But we, we actually staff uh, did absolutely incredible effort. And we, instead of losing one week, we actually managed to gain some time. And uh, we are right now in the final stages of putting Kafka together. So I want to hopefully uh, set up a date when we can uh, have this discussion with the finance committee, so I can schedule the auditors and uh, and the consultant to to have this conversation. So you want to you want to schedule um, our next city our next finance committee meeting to be mainly just CAFR presentations? Well, that's my biggest priority right now. So okay. that's what I'm trying to wrap up. The <laughs> other items on the list, uh, and uh, and welcome Charles. Uh, feedback here as well so the few items might be kind of easy list of the funds i think we, we can probably put this uh, parking fund revenues we already provided you revenues i think the only outstanding item there is to to show the side-by-side -side expenditures so i don't know if that's something critical for that next meeting or we can just kick it a little bit down the road yeah i'm so i'm thinking that the, the critical thing is the capper Yes. So, um, and that's going to take at least, I mean, that's going to take at least an hour, right? Right. Okay. My, my only question about the CAFR is that it's looking backwards. So I would like to include something on the agenda that is looking forward. So we're not just reviewing where we were the last, you know, year Well, so. what about the quarterly report? Do you think those will be done the third, second quarter? Is that what we're waiting on second? Yes, uh, so the status on that, we uh, we actually, I just sent instructions for the mid-year budget review to departments and uh, uh, we are in finally trying to close the quarter two. So some of the reports will go out to departments on tomorrow, but we need a little bit of time to compile the reports for the council. So the plan is to bring it to the next council meeting. If, uh, if the timing lies, and I need to look at the calendar right now, well, we might be able to give something to the to the finance committee at least to give some some preview some some maybe not the full report but at least the, the financials. Okay, so that's what I would prefer is if we do CAFR and the second quarter reports, right? Okay, so let's do that. Let's okay. So let's look for a date. Mm -hmm. And, and Julia, I'll just flag on the pro forma for Measure F. I actually provided you with a with a straw man, so that might make the conversation a little easier. Even just to say, right direction, not right direction. Um, maybe we can start there. Uh, well, I, if I may request this item to be kind of after the coffee and financial reports, because that will be just sure. a lot of burden on staff. Yep, no problem. Okay, so the next finance committee meeting is just going to be the CAFR and second quarter reports. 
And Correct. so we have a city council meeting next week on the 23rd. Uh, we have the week of the March 1st. Our next city council meeting after that, I believe is the 9th, right? Right. Yep. So do you want to do it in two weeks on the 4th? Or what? Um, hold on. <laughs> Let me check my calendar before I throw out that date. That works on me. Does that work for you, Yulia? It does, but let me, so I already checked the, the auditors. Uh, my goal is to bring the auditors so you can hear directly from them what the, yep. how the audit went. Okay. So the managing partner gave me her availability and I think on the fourth she's available nine to, nine to one. Okay. Is it something that we can do in the morning potentially? Yeah, do you guys want to do it 10 to noon? I'm fine. Yeah, on the fourth? On the fourth? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's fine. Okay, I'm gonna put this tentatively on my calendar right now. So twelve PM? Uh ten to twelve. Ooh, ten to twelve. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> Just a quick question. So I'll I'll bring the proposal back um for the benchmarking, but I don't wanna I mean it's two weeks. I don't know that you know if I can get folks started. Yulia, how hard would it be to get a copy of the audited financials? Not the CAFR, but just the numbers. Uh, as a draft, we can probably do that. I need to check with the auditors if they're comfortable releasing it yet, but uh, I, I don't see why not as a draft, but we should be able. Uh, you, so you're saying you need it before? It'll help me with the proposal and put together sort of the best path forward. So if I could get that before then, that'd be great. Yeah, I think we can probably. Yeah, let me let let me check. I we, we in the final stages. I think we, if we can, we we will just publish, just publish Kafra because it's a big document to review anyway before the meeting. We, uh, I mean, for the finance committee, not not publish publish as the final. Yeah. Of course, of course. And then if you have, like I said, the audited financials, not the Kafra, that'd be great. So once the so the the protocol would be for the finance committee to review the draft uh, financial statement and CAFRA, and uh, once we have this in-depth uh, conversation, then we'll bring it uh, to full council for. Uh, well, it doesn't need to be approved. It's more acceptance of report. Yep. Well, let me ask you this. So our next is that is the fourth enough time to turn it around to get it to the city council on the ninth? I don't think so. Uh, I mean, if we publish the same draft yes because we will my plan would be since we just set the meeting for the fourth so we would have to publish it no later than monday morning for you to review on the ninth yeah talking, so yeah, talking about the same draft we, we can and i i don't okay. see the numbers change so it's possible that we will see something it's just a lot of compiling pieces together so okay. if we need to amend i guess we will be but the auditors might not be comfortable putting draft on the council's agenda so we want to yeah okay i got it well let's, let's because I think the for the time we'll have to go out on the fourth so okay. later after the meeting yeah okay that's why i'm well we have yeah i mean that's kind of kind of close i think um well it's not impossible i think so i can i'll have to just Touch ways with the with the auditors and see how we can do it. Do we want to try to do it earlier in the week? 
was it Sure. The third, maybe, or the second? I mean, I'll let you have a little bit of time, but... Yeah, but I also need a little bit of time to put it together because keep in mind we need to publish it three days before the meeting. Okay. So fourth is actually a good day. I think it's it's really realistic. And before the ninth. Yeah, and we can probably work since we know the numbers already. We can probably stop kind of can work on the staff report. I I can start working on the staff report and just have it ready to go and attach this uh, Kafra report to the council meeting after the meeting. Yeah, because we really need to have it to the rest of the council, right? If we're gonna talk about it on the ninth, we gotta have it, they gotta have it by Friday, right? So they can look at it over the weekend. Because right. he, he thinks, yeah. yeah understand. How about this, like quicker we can just get into the whole budget discussion. Yeah, okay. Okay, if you're comfortable with the fourth, then I say we'll leave it on the fourth. Okay. Okay, guys, now we're ready? Yeah, we're ready. We're call it, call it. Okay, I'm gonna call it, uh, this meeting is adjourned. Thanks, awesome. everybody. Thanks, Thanks everybody. for your hard work, Julia, you and Thanks everybody you. else. Thanks, Charlie. Charlie. Of course, as always. Bye, all.